Namaste, motherfuckers, and welcome to Tantric Conversation, episode number 48, Tannen Penland. Tannen Penland is a guitar player, most recently involved in uh, a project called Loincloth, <clears throat> which I have to be honest, I heard have heard a lot about, and I've heard snippets of, but I haven't really checked out, um, and I, I really have been meaning to, and I need to, uh, but I've always really liked Tannen, and um, as I gathered from uh, various snippets of reference from friends over the years, that he's been involved in a lot more than I ever knew about, but uh, I met him when we were both working at Carey Street Cafe. He was working the door, and I was bartending there, and uh, we would talk about metal and other stuff, and it took me a while to catch on that he was into metal. Because I thought he was just another of the long hair hippie types that frequent that joint. But he isn't. He likes all kinds of metals. And he's uh, uh, one of the pieces of the tapestry, parts of part of the quilt of Richmond metal, metallic music that has been perpetrated by smart guys, smart asses, educated dudes. Some of us, and some of them bordering on, bordering, I mean, just bored, coming right up and sticking their toes and being pretentious, but not quite. There's always a, a, a self-referential um, mocking kind of an element to it, um, so it's smart and dumb at the same time, I've, I think would characterize a lot of it, which is, I guess, metal in general, isn't it? Nigel Tufnell, I believe, once said... It's a very fine line between stupid and clever, and uh, know all about that. This uh, I'm recording the intro to this podcast sitting in a hotel room in downtown Baltimore. I came up here to do a blitz for my job, where I'm uh, doing the same thing I do in Richmond, but I'm doing it in Baltimore and just driving around this city. And I gotta say, my I forgot about what a pain in the ass cities that take themselves seriously are. Baltimore seems to take itself pretty seriously. I came into this hotel and like I couldn't I rolled up to the front desk and they were expecting me to pay them thirty dollars just to park my car in a hotel that my company's already paying hundred and fifty dollars a night for me to stay in. And there's no other options, there's nowhere else to park. It just gotcha. And there ain't no internet unless you want to pay for that. Ain't no continental breakfast, nothing. And this is like this hotel I've been wandering around it is bigger than it needs to be. It's this crazy kind of urban overlook hotel lots of weird corners and empty rooms and i don't know but uh this this whole i remember i came up to baltimore years ago to visit uh, a friend of mine who was living here and and i remember thinking oh wow baltimore's kind of cool it's got all the things all the cool things about like say a city like new york and none of the bad things but i would reverse that now it seems to have all the bad shit and none of the good shit but um I don't know. Maybe I'm being a dick and I'm just basing this on a very glancing uh, impression. And it's certainly a shitty first impression from this people at this fucking Sheraton Hotel. But uh, I've been... They've done some interesting things with the town. I mean, it's got some of the age on it that Richmond does. And, of course, it wasn't burned at any point. So they've got a lot more buildings in their downtown. They've got a good mix of the old school and the new school. Um, I went into this one, looking for this one restaurant today, and they had made an inside, 
courtyard out of the exteriors of buildings that used to be, I guess, maybe have an alley between them, which was kind of cool. There was a window kind of coming out from a bar into this internal space that it was enclosed. It's kind of a weird atrium kind of thing. Anyway, like when I would say something about like this hotel situation, lots of other situations, people are just around here, they're just like, it's Baltimore. Like that's some explanation. And I, I don't, uh, so you're saying that you guys are proud of just having that shitty look, watch your back, big city kind of thing going on here. That that's just, that's just something that is unavoidable. And I guess that's a, a contrast to me from living in Richmond now and not having, li- not living in New York anymore, not living in these kinds of cities. It's somehow people take pride in that fucking every man for himself and get you however they're going to get you and like fucking pull whatever scam you can pull whenever you want to pull it and 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 just say hey that's just the way of the world it's the way of the big city life man that's bullshit it doesn't have to be that way and i am maybe i'm too old for this shit but like i really appreciate the fact that that's not the spirit of my good old hometown of richmond which i've sort of with few exceptions been dedicating this podcast to celebrating that Fuck Baltimore and fuck all you other big cities that think it's there's some badge of honor in being selfish and shitty. It's lame. Get over yourself and let's get on in to my man Tannen. What really defines music is this music. I started rolling. You said it was not. It was forward listening, not. Per, yeah, I, is, you could say that it is more about forward listening, or excuse me, more about peripheral uh, listening rather than forward listening. By that, I mean, you know, you could you could view it uh, in an eye sort of way as one looks forward versus uh, focusing on what's happening in the corner of one. Ah, and uh, so, so it needs your attention. Is what you're saying, or doesn't? It doesn't necessarily. It's more like lighting. It's more how uh, a certain lighting can uh, can affect a room, and in a way, it, it's it's quite dense. But my favorite way to listen to it is to simply forget about it, is to turn it on and see how it influences the room. Mm-hmm. And that would be peripheral. I, I, I describe it that way. Yeah. It may not be the best description, but it's no. Like I, I mean, I guess I so. That's it. the that's not the loincloth. It's just. It's Come this out. other project called Gauchiste, okay. and uh, there's a wonderful uh, label here in Richmond, uh, Little Black Cloud, that uh, did an incredible job of, of putting a limited uh, uh, vinyl and CD release of that out. So it was, it was wonderful to work with them, wonderful Go, to put Gauchine? Gauchiste. Gauchiste. G, G, uh, in, in French. It's, it's actually... A gauche, a pre- like G-A-U-C, like left, it's, rude... Yes, it's used pejoratively, right? Right, um, and it's very gauche. It's uh-huh. but it's more in a political sense. It's so far left that it's ah, and and so we were just kind of laughing at, at that kind. So of the thing. the lyrical content is uh, absurdist, leftist kind of. Well, or are there lyrics? There are not really lyrics, but much of the record conceptually, abstractly, is based on uh, l'autrement, les chances de Maldoror. And also uh, a particular poem by the symbolist uh, Stephen Mallarmé, whom uh, way over my head. Yeah, really, it's not, not really, often that that happens to me, Tannen. You, 
<laughs> getting me, man. <laughs> really interesting French guys. The the L'Autremont, uh is c- considered by some to be one of the uh, perhaps the first surrealist, certainly the first surrealist in in. Uh, poetry to many people's eyes, people such as Baudelaire, mm-hmm. Rimbaud, uh, they simply adored the guy, and you can see that translated in the in painting as well from Dali to Magritte. They just mm-hmm. simply adored the guy, and I get it. Um, I was turned on to him by the late Dwayne Kurd many many years ago, and I've discovered that I return to Les Chants de Maldoror at least once a year. And I believe I will for the rest of my life. It is an extraordinary work. It's a very rebellious work. And as you get older, you see the youth mm-hmm. inside of it. You see what a kind of punk he was. Right. And you see why he was considered a Satanist. Uh-huh. Um, little is it the LaVey kind of Satanism, like do what no. thou wilt? Or just the, no, the gothic? Ma- yeah, it, it, it is more gothic. It's more perhaps in the same way that some would have viewed Poe mm-hmm. as a Satanist. Poe was another guy that was uh, uh, loved L'Autremont. Um so the name of the writer is Lautremont. Lautremont. He was also and known as... work is Chanson de... Uh, Les Chans de Maldoror. Les Chans de uh, and, and he yeah. had another name. He's actually from Uruguay and uh, lived in Paris. Died, I believe, at 24 years old. Uh, very, very little is known about this guy. Uh, I believe he died from the plague. His mother dragged him around with Les Chants de Maldoror at the time from publisher to publisher and people were afraid of it and they were like you know this is great work but the content it's too, it's too weird it's poetry it's prose it's surrealism before it had been named and it's it's very narcissistic and it's very challenging it's always he's always challenging the reader he's always challenging the the reader with these rather grim concepts horrific concepts but you you can tell that he's got a great sense of humor who was it that wrote, was it Baudelaire that wrote Carrion um uh, um I think he's talking about in, like we're, in, we're, in Le Fleur de Mal. yeah he's like in, we're walking along the road and we see a corpse laying in the you know and he's describing in kind of vivid and beautiful yeah. detail of what yeah, the yeah. corpse looks like buzzing with flies in the sun yeah, and all yeah, of yeah. that and yeah. And it's kind of it is kind of beautiful and sexy. What he you know sure. he's talking about something. Oh, he was f- fucked up. But he's also saying to his girlfriend who's walking with him, "You're going to look like that too one day. So don't <laughs> feel too high and mighty." You know? So is it that kind of? Uh, kind, yeah, kind mm-hmm. of. But it's 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 a bit it's a bit more convoluted. Just in the sense that surrealism was that mm-hmm. it was it was playing with the abstract it was playing with this beyond and and play is a crucial word inside yeah uh and he you, you got the sense that he was one of those guys that liked to fuck with people mm-hmm. and although that's a not a very endearing characteristic in this work it's an extraordinary character yeah like you, you want to be able to choose when you're uh taking in somebody's attempts at fucking with you rather than just have them around you exactly. all the time. That Exactly. But when, before we turned on the mics, that's, we were talking about the, uh, well, the, the wanting your perspective fucked with, you mm-hmm. know, and, and like in needing it, you know, cause you get stuck in what you know, and that's all, you know, and you get very subjective and various shocks to the system give you an ob, you know, somewhat more objective 
perspective on things that you've been taking for granted as just being like that's the way it is, mm-hmm. you know. Mm-hmm. And and we and you don't really realize how many choices you have in perception mm-hmm. and how many different ways there are to perceive it. And to, and you can get these sudden ones from like smoking weed or drinking or you know, right, other kinds right, of drugs, right. but you can also get them from experiences or learning something or hearing something or reading a poem mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. that. And I, I totally and you know I just found out I called this tantric conversation more for the very common understanding of that word which is long yeah yeah (laughs) yeah yeah. but i also you know wanted to hint at the ritual part of that that something being done meditatively and repetitively and there being a bit of close teaching you know Mm -hmm. one person to another the guru Mm -hmm. kind of thing Mm -hmm. um but my friend Jan's wife, who studied all of this stuff, said that also Tantra was a way of shocking the system. It was a way of shocking your perspective. It was a way, uh, like, Tantric sex for them meant having someone sex with someone from a lower caste, which would be revolting to... Oh, that's <laughs> I, I, I was unaware of that. Yeah, me too. And, like, so she's done the, the heavy lifting and the deep work and studying all that stuff. And so, it, any, but these were all ways to sort of shock you out of a complacency, a spiritual complacency, mm-hmm. I guess. And I don't know if there's no difference between spiritual complacency and any other kind of complacency. But, no, you no. Know. And interestingly, I, I, I remember, I, I, I believe that it was a Zazen practice that was actually referred to as jumping the tiger. It's, mm-hmm. it's funny, we often think of, uh, you know, the, the Buddhist tradition as being filled with peace and quietude right well this in regards to that very idea was uh how the master would uh pick various students to jump on and break bones oh wow and sounds like some shaolin shit yeah it's ugly (laughs) it's ugly i don't think i'd want to belong but yeah i mean but their thing is is right it's a they do that to get to that piece but first you need to have removed from you the attachment that comes with it, you know, that your ego identifying with your, your, your more solid self, your ego saying that my death is, is the total death. Like, mm-hmm, mm-hmm, and, and actually, mm-hmm. no, the ego is not that it's just a, it's a ghost in the machine, Yeah, but it convinces you with your sense of self that any threat to it is a mortal threat, mm-hmm, you know, mm-hmm. such as being mocked or rejected or mm-hmm. you know any of that stuff and like so there's a lot of real in your face ways that um gurus or or teachers or whatever are going to try to get you to abandon that identification with your ego and sometimes involves hurting <laughs> oh absolutely you know? because i i think about it i was you know i was recently we had talked a little bit about this the other evening i was i was recently in a in a car accident that absolutely hurled me for weeks and still does into a very, very different state of being. Mm-hmm. One of which I'm not particularly in touch with, mm-hmm. but just the, the absolute body injury, how that removed me from a convention that yeah. I am so used to in thought and in daily life. Mm-hmm. Um, and how did, how did it? It's interesting. I'm still figuring that out, and I've thought a lot about it. Uh, Is that what you meant by you're not totally in touch with it? You could not, may not necessarily be able to articulate yeah, it. Yeah. Perhaps not at this moment. I mean, mm-hmm. and again, as we were, we were talking the other evening, I mean, I, I've been trying to get in touch with the byproducts of it, and it's mm-hmm. an interesting process because I, I, as I said, I've I've developed all kinds of phobias, mm-hmm. phobias that I don't really have tools to deal with, right? Because I've never dealt with them. Mm-hmm. And it's an interesting process to begin 
unraveling uh, what that is and what actually occurred, not just to the body. What a beautiful kid. That's Nala, and she is uh, just moving in today. Yeah, Morgan's bringing her home. And I, I agreed to having her because she is so beautiful, she's, and she's got a good name, too. She sounds like she might be related to Nog and Naina, the Cobras, and um, Ricky Tiki Tavi. You remember oh, them? Oh, yeah. Hey. And she hisses like that, too. She doesn't like boys. She, she doesn't. No, she lived with two... Um, gay women uh, grew up with uh, a totally female household. So when I try to pet her, she goes, oh. but we're gonna, she's going to get used to me. Oh, yeah. I'm going to break her. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That. She's already getting involved. <laughs> she's already getting in there. Uh, I'm sorry. I, we, we, I got no, that's uh, what we sidetracked do. by beauty. That's what we do. That's right. Kitty. That's right. But um, continue. What was I saying? That's the $20,000 stoner well, we, pyramid. We were, we were really talking about methods of, of that you were talking, um, either, yeah. Well, you know how from from a, a poem to a, a car accident. No, but I want to hear what you were just talking well, about. Yeah, no, I was talking about kind of unraveling the byproducts of going through this traumatic experience. So feeling having your body busted up, having your body busted up. You're fucked up. You're just stuck in bed. You're stuck in in this kind of helplessness, uh, obviously derived from brokenness mm-hmm. and. I think I think perhaps one of the most interesting things about it, and this pertains to what I was talking about in terms of the practice of somebody jumping on another and truly hurling them back into right. a moment, right. was that one of the few things I remember about it, I was just having this this kind of silly conversation with my parents. I, I, it was my mom's birthday, and I had a... Taking them to see the Melvins oh, yeah. the night before. Your mother to yeah. the Melvins? And I thought she had seen the Melvins in the in the early 90s. Mm-hmm. There was a band that I was in as a kid, and we played with them, and I loved the Melvins. And so what I, was that band real quick? That band was the Kenmores. The Kenmores. Oh, yeah, yeah. yeah yep. Uh, but I, I thought she'd gone to that show. I mean, my parents had been inundated with the Melvins. And right. Just evil music coming from my bedroom as a kid. And I realized, oh, no, they'd, they'd never seen him. And this was the two drummer Melvins. Uh-huh. And, a big and I, business folded in. Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. And they were stunning. And and uh, my mom adored it. I think everybody needs something heavy on their birthday. My mom agreed. That's awesome that she could dig it. Like she does. Yeah, she digs. Yeah, she digs those spaces. I think that environment is so charged. It's it's hard not to. And you you go see something. What was wonderful about seeing the Melvins this this particular time was seeing a group of people that were so in charge of their mission. Yeah. They understand their mission. Yeah. There's no bullshit in it. There's yeah. no there's no fucking with anybody. We're just here to pummel you with our heaviness. And they exert a lot of control over the audience and the vibe and all of that. I mean, I saw them many years ago at Brownies mm-hmm. and they came out and just stood there with their arms folded for <laughs> a while. Yeah. Like basically saying this is not your party. Oh sure. You, you shut the fuck up and sure. start paying attention. We're not going to, you know. And and that is they um I was thinking about this the other day. I never got to it, but like the first time I heard them like not not like um Honey Bucket or or something off Houdini, but like really heard what I think is more the what the Melvins are. Um even though they are that too, they can just riff it up and yeah. whatever, but I heard Lysol and the King Buzzo solo Oh, yeah. Record sort of at the same time. Mm-hmm. And so there's the Lysol opening up with just 
you know, a guitar note, I mean, you know, real meditate, like an ohm kind of mm-hmm. thing just mm-hmm. going, you know, mm-hmm. and, and for a long time. And like, I was really dialed into a verse, chorus, verse, you know, kind of, yeah, music, big yeah. time, you know, like I structured, you know, along certain lines even. And I, and I was listening to jazz, but I hadn't like, the two hadn't melded yet. And, uh, and then hearing the opening drum thing and whatever that song is, maybe pour the first song on the King Buzzo. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. and it's just a drum intro and like you expect it, you can do two measures of this and then here comes the guitar and whatever, but right. then it just keeps going. Right. And like, and it resets and then you're like, am I hearing now? I don't know if the flam is coming before the, the yeah. kick drum or the kick drums coming before the flam, you know, and yeah. like the, it, it becomes disorienting mm-hmm. and like, and then you go, Hey, don't ever even take this music for granted. That's being played mm-hmm. with a distorted guitars and big muff pedals and drop mm-hmm. D and mm-hmm. all of this mm-hmm. shit that, you know, we, we know how to fuck with the conventions of it, mm-hmm. you know? And mm-hmm. like, and it's, I mean, they are like, you know, they're high thinkers, high art kind of yeah, guys. I, and like, yeah. I would have to agree. They, you know, I, I they might cringe hearing that yeah uh <laughs> but but you know I, the first time i saw him i was 15 years old it was hot as shit outside i was walking down broad street and there was a guy uh dewey mm-hmm. he used a long time ago was in guar he's one of the first guitar players in guar and he Is was he the one that got shot when they were in DC? No, no no that was pete from, oh, okay. from texas uh I was walking down the road. Dude, he was a really nice guy. He was older than I was, and he he knew how much I I loved metal, and he mm-hmm. and like he was a punker, and he knew that I was, you know, trying to figure this scene out. That I was truly enamored with it. What was going on? And he he called me over to him. He was working outside the door of New Horizons. Mm-hmm. Remember New Horizons? Yeah. Used to be for those listening that don't know about it it was a, a a famous reggae club that also became this kind of renowned hardcore place uh and so it was on the corner of harrison and broad it was on the corners of, of harrison and broad and years later uh some folks here uh bought it and created winkies and yeah. it was very very sadly uh burned down was it, it was Jim Thompson, Jim Thompson, and Naomi, and Naomi, and and Ron was involved in it, and uh, it was just a group of awesome. That people. was a really yeah, it was really cool, and they were booking cool shows in there. Yep. And then it the owner awesome. decided to put pour gasoline down the roof. Or that was the shit. thought. Yeah. That was the thinking. That and uh, it was a truly, truly sad day. As a matter of fact, it was the same. I was working the door. At the Metro, and it was the day of the OJ chase. Oh, really? Yeah. yeah, yeah I remember yeah. looking down the road and seeing clouds of smoke and and an army of, of fire trucks. And as that was occurring, TVs were on, and OJ was having his big chase. Yeah, I watched that at Mama Zoo, actually. For some reason, I was over there, and he pulled that TV out and put it on a table. But you were talking about Dewey introducing you to Oh, the, uh, yeah. What, yeah. I was walking down the road, and and he called me over to the door, and he said, you're not old enough to get into this, but you're going to thank me forever for this because I know you love Celtic Frost and mm-hmm. Trouble. And it's like, yes, indeed, I do. And and his point was, well, this is going to challenge how you think about heavy. And I went in, and it was me, three other people, and the Melvins. And <laughs> they proceeded to... 
in that moment to truly change how I was thinking about heavy music and how uh, I was thinking uh, about music in general. I mean, it was yeah. truly profound. You know, it's that kind of moment. You're, you know, you're 15. You're not expecting something like that occurring right, right. to you in that day. Yeah. It every time I think about it, I, you know, I, I truly praise, I truly praise Dewey for having that insight. Mm-hmm. And I, I celebrate it. And, and I think I don't have those experiences enough. I want to have those experiences. But you can't have them on demand, man. They no, you be. can't. And that's the thing is that's what we get into. Like I know I did. I'll speak for myself. Is that I've always valued those kinds of experiences. And then I wanted to manufacture them. Right. You know, and with drugs and alcohol and also with just like, you know, trying to – pursue music like that and pursue experiences like that and they elude you mm-hmm. with all of these different ways because they are just meant i i honestly do sort of believe that they're just meant to appear when you're ready sure. for them sure you know and and like so now i sort of do believe in sort of a certain level of inaction and like let some shit kind of fall into my natural mm-hmm. path like that did right mm-hmm. you just walk in the along the street and you run into that but well what's particularly great about that to me is that well i had this experience with the melvins and they just knocked me out and and so they continued to do so and a few years later played with them and they were fantastic and i i just couldn't tell enough people about the melvins and this was a town that was already up on the melvins everybody knew about the melvins and highly celebrated them yeah and and were ready for the melvins but it Interestingly, after that second time, for a period of about eight years, almost ritualistically, I would tell people, those that weren't familiar with them, they're really worth traveling hours if it takes yeah, hours to go see them. And I'll meet you there. It's going to be phenomenal. And they were just awful. They were truly, <laughs> truly terrible. And and even more terrible when, you know, for example, it's a Tuesday night. You're in Baltimore. You're in the shittiest section of Baltimore. You have to be at work at 7 o'clock in the morning. You're, you're, you're prepared for this life-altering heaviness. And, well, you're going to get an hour of this guy feeding back. I've always and, wondered if they fucking do – I mean – all right, you, you know they would balk at at being called, you know, or, or labeled high art or whatever, you know. Okay, so they're not intellectually going about that, or are they? Like, they know what they're doing. Well, they're smart they, people, and they, yeah. they're in control. Because they'll put it, out a record full of riffs and full of, like, really satisfying shit, and then they'll put out a record of noise. And, and I think... I think to be fair, and this is a younger perspective. I, you know, I was just disappointed because I wanted what I wanted out, right? Of it. And you that's built not it up a lot, yeah. Too, and it's yeah. not, it's not what they want, right? It is their band, right? Uh, but they were very unsatisfying performances, and and so for years, I was like, oh, fuck it, I'm not going to go see the Melvins. And and in 2006, uh, my girlfriend and I, we she'd never seen the Melvins, and it had been several years, and. Uh, I was like, screw it. Let's go see him at the Black Cat. And they were simply phenomenal. Truly, it's just re- reuniting with something mm-hmm. that's that's utterly bestial. It was, yeah. it was incredible. But this last performance, 
I'm not kidding, was as good as that performance when I was 15. As good as the first time. And I'm not, <laughs> that just does not happen. And what's so unique about it, what's so unique to be in the presence of that kind of power and, and demand is, is being, you know, uh, in that fortunate space where you're, you, you really have the opportunity to, to be a part of this unique gathering that is putting forth yeah. with a true, like I said before, a true understanding of a mission. Mm-hmm. Like, man, you guys just aren't fucking around. This mm-hmm. is, this is, we're here to do this. And, you know, you do have to love them because they don't, you know, they definitely come across as guys that are like, I, we, it really doesn't fucking matter right. if you like it or not. Right. It's, it's kind of, and irrelevant. Yet they can really like, the last record that I've listened to with any regularity is that senile animal mm. one. Yeah. And I started listening to it again recently because they used the song in true detective, uh, hit the history of bad men. Oh yeah. Yeah. They yeah. Use that song in there. And, um, and there's some really melodic, so there's a really melodic song on there. Mm-hmm. That one, I civilized worm. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and like the obvious, I mean, you know, buzz is capable of writing, a pop song. Oh yeah. You know? yeah, yeah. And like, you know, he know he has a total melodic, you know, um, whatever he, he knows how to do anything. He just wants to do what he wants to do. Yeah. Yeah. He's not going to turn anything out, but it's, it's interesting. The cycles they will go through. Cause I like around prick, I guess is where they lost me. And I stopped listening to him. I was like stoner, Witch and prick came out around the same time on like am rapper mm-hmm, mm-hmm. something, or maybe there were two different labels even. And I just was like, all right, I've had it with this. And, um, and then I, but they come back around and say, okay, we, we want to do, we, we, we're willing to do our old type of stuff sure. again. I, and I, I would have loved to have seen them uh, opening up for Rush. There's something about that that's so yeah. compelling to me. Same with Voivod. Voivod opened up for Rush on the, on Dimension Hatros tour, just a couple of shows. And at that point in time, Voivod, Dimension Hatros is a truly abstract ra- record for mm-hmm. metal. And, you know, although I'm sure Rush's audience, there's a portion they're progressive thinking individuals they love prog rock so they could potentially relate to what Voivod was doing right and they may trust Getty and right 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 but I could also see that audience utterly confounded (laughs) like what the fuck is Rush doing so I wanted to like get get back into the uh, you mentioned Voivod and like my my metal like um I don't know. Learning curve was very conventional until mm-hmm. I got. I mean, I was listening. I, I the first time oh, I heard so was mine though. But you you were definitely into this like the stuff that I. I mean, I didn't listen to Voivod mm-hmm. ever. You know, I know who they are. Um, and like, I, you know, I heard some shit here and there, and I've heard the story about them. Yeah, that I don't know if it's true or not. That they're based that the, the Voivod is this monster that one of the guys dreamed up in a when he was sick. Or something, and uh, he's written a lot of the songs. Have you ever heard this at all? Uh, no. Maybe no. as a child, like it was a fever dream well, from no, childhood. Because, uh, the Voivod was actually uh, was it a Frank Herbert creation? I don't know. I I don't the, part of Dune. I don't remember it from Dune. Uh, um, 
but many of the concepts quite possibly because you know the drummer away he he is uh, also their artist and he he's a sci-fi nut and you could also tell that he was uh, a kraut rock nut and a prog rock nut and you start putting all that together I get the at, idea at a young age. the voivod was a cybernetic entity an individual that was also somewhat like somehow an alter ego for this guy or something that either haunted him or spoke to him. And maybe it uh, may, he may have manifested it that way. I, I, but like, I don't really know. I didn't really listen to him. No, like, I, I wouldn't, you know, I wouldn't doubt it because that's one of the great, uh, things about Voivod. They were young kind of punk met French Canadian metal dudes. This, mm-hmm. what are they? I don't know. And they were, capable of creating this fantastic mythology you know and and when you stood in a room with them you felt the difference it's mm-hmm. like oh these guys are kind of alien there's there's uh-huh. so badass what's what is their deal uh and that's you know especially when you're a kid and and the kind of music that they were playing was truly like nothing i'd ever heard i never heard anything like so did you, metal did you start like i get the sense you, did you go to high school with sean harris i, I did I was did. that trinity no, no. Uh, that Freeman? was Tucker High School. Tucker, yeah. okay. And you knew Sean and who else? And Seth, uh-huh, his brother. I knew the brothers. I right. grew up with them. Uh, I knew, I went to elementary school with them. Uh, and, and so, so at that time, you guys are listening to like Dokken and that was Van Halen. And that like was a shit. part. Yeah. By the time we got to, I mean, by the time we got to high school, the shift for me had turned into much heavier. And and by that point, I you know a lot of hardcore and and punk rock uh was entering my life. I mean, I, you know, I I like a lot of people, I quested and I quested and mm-hmm. I quested and it was a fantastic hobby what what it is to go to the record store. Like, right. What are you going to discover? I guess I'm I'm asking this cuz I was surprised. I guess like I met Sean when he was in Butterglove. Mm-hmm. You know, and you I met actually I think when you were working the door at Carey Street and I didn't really Oh yeah. I, it was very late, like, you know. Because I had met your sister, yeah, right? Yeah. Right. And then I put it together. That, right. Uh, and you had been had just come back to town at that point. This is like 99 or 2000. Yeah, 2001. Yeah. 2002, yeah. somewhere in there. So I didn't know anything about, like, My your, history. Yeah, your pedigree or whatever. But I had gradually started to realize around that time that Sean and I shared the dumb metal. Yeah, stuff, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah. That, that we both like that crap. But, you know, we had met it in the 90s when, you know, most people were eschewing that sort of Well, thing, I, I mean, I just grew up on metal. So I, you know, I yeah, absolutely, I I love, still love the old Scorps, mm-hmm. love Priest and love Maiden. And, you know, Dio era Sabbath is still my favorite. I love Dio. I, I, I love that era of music. Yes. Yeah. When, you know, the, the, the Dawkins and the rat. later period. <laughs> See, I'm always curious about Rat. I'm always curious if whether or not I go back to into the cellar and and dig it because um, they seemed more authentic than a lot of their uh, L.A. Uh, brethren. I mean, once all that shit started to happen, I don't I know, just, when you see Stephen Piercy with that like moose up, like you know, sure. But when you still see them, 
like old footage before they had that record out, they seemed like a South Side heavy metal band. Right. You know, right. that they were still, they were growing up on Priest right. and Deep Purple. And, you know, they were, they took the turn for corporate schlock. Everybody did at that point. It's like, if you want to sell records, you got to put these, the spandex on and get and these here and. And that was the enemy yeah. of underground metal. Right. And so when you're a kid, you're and and you know, Celtic Frost is what's moving you as it should. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, fuck all that stuff. I mean, and but I did. I still there was a point in uh, you know that if you were to look into my record collection, yeah, it could be. I mean, it could be uh, the Bad Brains, Helix, and. Uh, so it was really there wasn't a period where it was just like metal for you really it was always sort of parallel with early hardcore and punk. Uh, no, I mean metal is always a first love, right? And I have spent so much time exploring that world, and I I, I do I just I love metal, and I I love uh, the the great metal that exists out there. I don't think there's anything like it, but. I too have always been curious and wanting to explore lots of forms of music. And as I've gotten older, I, I still adore metal. But at some point, I also realized that there are a million ways to get to heavy. Yeah. And heavy is not necessarily just pounding, it, yeah. even though I appreciate it. Yeah, and somebody said to me when I, I mean, I always have, that's always been this kind of core thing for me. And what metal is for me is, has has not been rebellious or um, no. dark. Even I mean, I got into it being dark, I guess, a little with Slayer and and certain bands, but it was that's- really about like adrenaline and like energy and the way that like distorted guitar and those riffs would just make me feel mm-hmm. when I heard them. It was it was very like. Um, in a lot of ways, just testosterone and, um, you know, sublime testosterone. Yeah. See, for me, it's a little different because I mean, you know, not totally, but well, that's what I'm trying to get at. But see, for for me, you know, hearing rain and blood for the first time, it was just being in the presence of absolute beauty. Mm -hmm. You know, that to me, it's, it's such an understood and beautifully manicured piece of music that is the song you're talking about just the record yeah that record in particular what what it did and and too of course it pays homage as it should to satan yeah and you know that part like satan to me has always seemed like a cartoon character but and and really like i read this article a long time ago about slayer and somebody else and they were on a tour and they were talking about how they were at auschwitz you know on this tour with a bunch of other people and some of the guys on the bus who you know had like gotten off and were touring auschwitz and really checking it out and the guys from slayer just sitting on the bus smoking hash they weren't actually interested in checking out the shit that they wrote these songs about or the reality of it you know it was just a bunch of shit they were name dropping or whatever so that kind of fucked with me about them but that song like the song rain and blood like when i hear that intro when mm. it comes out of that you know mm-hmm. and it's just the double basses and the <laughs> and the sawing away the guitars that has a visceral effect on me and yeah it is sublime and beautiful but it is also like i don't really know what to do with myself oh like, yeah yeah and yeah. that's what like that's what metal has always immediately done to me mm-hmm. you know the and like but i i didn't go deep 
um, I kind of like, cause I was also branch and my branching off cause I lived in Churchill and like was around this more urban thing was, was hip hop. And was mm-hmm. like when, when I heard public enemy, I think that really ended up being my punk mm-hmm. more than, mm-hmm. you know, that was more relevant to me, sure. you know, like, not, I mean, I, whatever. I don't know why that was. I'm not going to go into, you know, well, no, I, I, I can it's see just with the surroundings. That I was, yeah. You know. Yeah. 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 I realize that's a, I don't know, a tricky thing to say or whatever. Well, but. public enemy too, though, was super heavy. And if you went to, you know, public enemy was fantastic in, in the same, they understood something perhaps a bit more intellectually than, than uh, Slayer did, but, Similarly, how to create a thick, frightening atmosphere. Yeah. And they were kind of having a laugh at it. Yeah. But yeah, I'd have to say that was more frightening to me and more dangerous because I saw that was a, a real danger to me. Yeah, growing seen up public in, enemy. No, I mean, like right, what see. they were talking about and what yeah. they were invoking was shit that was about. Three, it was a social. It was three blocks away from, yeah. you know, over here right. in, in Churchill in the right. 80s. And. What Slayer was talking about and all of that right. was made up and, and and didn't scare me anymore. But the idea of, of like you know social, I mean, I, I should have <laughs> clarified that though in a in a performance sense is what I mean. When you would stand in a room with them, you know, the one thing about seeing I remember seeing Slayer at it was Rain and Blood tour at Warner Theater, and still it's the most frightening show I've ever been to. Mm-hmm. I mean, it was just a, a kind of maniacal atmosphere that supported a level of violence that was simply stunning. And of yeah. course there were a lot of people like, just like, the like kind of violence that. And, and that. yeah. Mm-hmm. And at the time, not all of that had really been defined. So you had, you had just this, this fucked up element that, you didn't know what they were into other than PCP mm-hmm. and the the fact that this environment invited a, a kind of violence that they were thrilled to participate right. in. Uh, now, granted, most of the people were just like me that could not believe they were getting ready to fucking see Slayer right. on the Rain and Blood tour. And and the excitement, you, it was thick. I mean, you, you really could feel it. But uh, they were capable of creating this atmosphere that felt dangerous. Mm-hmm. And Public Enemy could do it too, I th- but I think Public Enemy could, could really have a laugh at it. I think they yeah. were fully aware of what they were controlling and what they were I was just more with. scared of them than I was of those uh, other guys. I, I should, I mean... The the real threat and danger that I had experienced growing up in this this neighborhood, and then like having that come into this like really challenging well rap, you know, when it when it got like confrontational and political. I mean, it wasn't always. It was like you know silly and fun, mm-hmm. at, you know, at times, and then it got all intellectual with hip hop. But mm-hmm. there was this period of where that was just really like let's just turn over the whole thing. Let's, you know, let's have some kind of a revolution, whatever. And that really felt like something that could happen. Mm -hmm. Like, I'm not going to go to hell and be tortured by Satan, but this thing, you know, so that was just way more visceral, uh, of thing for me at that time. And like, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm talking to you about this because like, I, I diverged. So, I mean, I'm really a metal head Mm -hmm. at heart, but like, Metal is so many things. Oh, right? sure. Like, have you seen that movie, Headbangers Journey? Yeah. 
you know, it's in the that documentary. Guy, he, yeah, yeah, yeah. And he does that. He does a crazy fucking uh, tree. He does. It. And, he does a good job of it. Too. Yeah. I mean, he does break it down nice. And the, the orchestral element of this that he's showing Eddie Van Halen playing and then he's, you know, juxtaposing that with Bach or something like Wagner that. Wagner yeah. and, and how you can quickly make those parallels. And, and yeah, it's not blues-based a lot of times. It's much more like uh, orchestral mm-hmm. kind of it's stuff. much more right? angular. I mean, if you, if you, you know, guys like... Uh, Shostakovich or or Dvorak or in particular Wagner's a guy. Have you ever seen the uh, his double bass, which no, was it, like, w- it was like a, a stand up bass. Acoustic. It was a stand up bass that required that actually had stairs, <laughs> and two people played it. It went to eleven. It in fact went to eleven. And what's so badass about it is that he designed it. Just for the heaviness, of for the deep, the deepest yeah, of the deep. You can't even it. hear this. Only yeah. elephants can hear it. Right, right. I mean, it, you know, he was getting all mashuga mm-hmm. about it, and so in, in a way, he was. He so that's the thing. Okay, metal. you you know, you were talking about with somebody you didn't know where they stood or what they believed in or whatever, but and so like that's often a really important thing to people who are into particular bands, metal bands. And I don't know who knows what it even is. It, it, it's a lot of times not defined, but it's just like, these people are like me and I'm into what they're doing. And I just sort of join them tribally. Mm-hmm, like, mm-hmm. but like, I never had that with any of those bands. Like I wanted to dress like them or, you know, really join any of the culture. I just really fucking loved, loved s- certain kinds of the music. Yeah, you know, and, and and I think that has that's a much more that that's another subset of metal fans that has been really, you know, has been has emerged in the last like fifteen years of people in, who are in every other way straight, but they oh, like yeah. sleep or they like high on fire or they like oh yeah you know. yeah yeah metal metal in particular became very very hip i you know it's interesting i mean in this town people hated metal yeah absolutely considered it the enemy and you can see why metal did uh, aspire to on, on a lot of levels a far more corporate thing even the underground metal i mean it was always more expensive the attitude was not necessarily we're all in this together Right. It was, you were here to see me. There's a degree of selfishness, corniness. Yeah, like, yeah, you know, yeah. And prima Donna shit. Sure. Yeah. But I appreciated that because, I, you know, yeah, I am here just to be pummeled by what you're doing. And it is, it's not a social thing for <laughs> well, me I wanted to be pummeled all. by them too, but I didn't, I had no desire to hang out with anyone else who was there. You know, like when I go to see Metallica, I just, I wanted to see Metallica yeah. and, and I liked maybe the two people that came with me, like Bill Rose and, mm-hmm. uh, mm-hmm. you know, my sister and, and, um, my friend Jason, mm-hmm. Jason Sofi, you know, some of the, you knew yeah. George Sofi, right? Yeah. 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 But anybody else there is like a fucking redneck riff, you know, like, I don't want to like fuck sure. those guys, you know? I mean, I guess, so like. Anyway, you were well. No, in the case here in Richmond, there were a lot of people that I I loved being around, mm-hmm. and 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 at the same time, when I was a kid, I was mystified over the fact that you know, all right, you you know, you love discharge. I, yeah, discharge is is heavy. 
why don't you love, you know, Celtic Frost or and a lot of those people did, and a lot of people came around, but there was this utter disdain for the form, and it was, and it was considered the enemy, and and again, similar to you, these were experiences that. It had nothing to do with a social. Uh, it was about a transformative experience that I was wanting to have out right. of it. And, and that's what I was seeking. Sometimes would get, sometimes wouldn't. And metal is very good at demystifying itself. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, you know, a lot of these things that you want to be extraordinarily heavy and evil, just, now well, they're not. And, and, they're too expensive. I forgot know. to say a little while ago that when I was like in one of my, I mean, I'm trying to accept other kinds of music, but ultimately still need to hear this certain kind of guitar tone and mm-hmm. this certain kind of thing. It needs to be this volume, mm-hmm. whatever. And somebody turned me on to the Spaceman three and they said, you know, these guys are so heavy. They have to sit down to play. Yeah. <laughs> They're playing. Yeah. And I put it on. I was like, well, it's not heavy at all. And then I went, Oh, it's yeah, heavy. It is. It's a different kind of heavy, like mm-hmm. you were alluding to earlier. And that is, I mean, and I like that kind of heavy. And I think the Melvins do bring those two kinds of heavy together nicely, like the oh, Spaceman yeah. 3 kind of thing. And I just really like the riff. And I don't like yeah. the riff too fast. And I don't like it too slow most of the time. I like it. Right oh, I worship at the altar of the riff. As cliched as that is, it's all about the riff. And and uh, there are a lot of people that can bring the riff from, you know, Sono and and Death to Devo and Gang of Four. I mean, yeah. and they all kind of meet up really in the same heavy place to me. Uh, it's, a, it's different perspectives on that, but... Uh, they can they can certainly touch me in the same way. Yes, yeah, so like a lot of this, the difference is really, I mean, is outfits and like seemingly like socioeconomic kind of background. Like, you know, when I remember when Helmet came around and they were doing sort of a mathy mm-hmm. kind of a thing. Mm-hmm. And at that time, you know, Breadwinner was had been doing their thing for a while and he appreciated this sort of thing a lot. And I'd gotten into the Melvins. And in fact, I wanted to say this earlier. I, I was playing Ozma for somebody outside of this town one time who was very familiar with Richmond music, mm-hmm. and, but hadn't heard the Melvins yet. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. he, and he listened to about the first five songs on that record and said, he ought to give the Melvins the key to the city, Richmond. There, <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> so many people drew from from that. Oh, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. The, and and there were great interpretations in this town. I mean, this town could get heavy. I mean, you know, for those that that missed just slang louse, slang louse at their heaviest was outrageously mm-hmm. heavy to mm-hmm. me. And and they they were another group of and people. nicely art damaged too. So like taking it in this kind of you know yeah. intellectual direction. Oh sure, and, you know. sure, and very anti metal heavy, right? And and in a way, but yeah, but there's by, always been this bad word, right? I mean, like the, the assumption is you're a dumbass, you're tacky, you're you know, your South Side redneck character. You know, you pant, your pants are too t- high, and you got a stupid <laughs> mullet, and you know, no shit from shit, and that's who you're going to see at the metal show. And of course, we know now that's not true. But the guys who at that time, like, they wanted maybe to hear that kind of music, but they didn't want the guys to look like that that were playing it. Mm-hmm. You know, mm-hmm. and like mm-hmm. along, you know, bands like Helmet come along, and they look like just skater guys. Mm-hmm. You know, they've just got regular. T-shirts and khakis and like you know airwalks. 
yeah. on, and that yeah. makes it acceptable. It's still fucking metal. Right. I mean, really, Nirvana is more metal in a lot of ways than it is punk. You know, it's punk in, in its in its disregard mm-hmm. for mm-hmm. a lot of things, but it's heavy. Yeah, you know, like yeah, yeah. big guitar sound. Like yeah, and big- you can yeah, right, and you can. I I think they were just a really open-minded group of people that grew up similarly in that their record collections were filled with all kinds of things, right. spanned all kinds of genres, and they were celebratorial of, of all of those things from, you know, King Diamond to, uh, you know, the, to the big boys. Yeah. And so with, they were, a, they were packaging that, I mean, they didn't do that on purpose, but for people who maybe were not drawn to that kind of music until it was played by guys that look like that, and we're also doing it with a wink mm-hmm. and a certain amount of irony, mm-hmm. you know, and that's another thing. I mean, a lot of dudes playing metal taking that shit very seriously, mm-hmm. and then irony got to be a very big thing in... Like yeah, I'm not. I don't. I like this metal, but I like this metal ironically. Yeah, like you yeah, know, that I gets want- tiresome. <laughs> it does get tiresome yeah, because yeah. you know, at, at the core, people become consumed with exactly that. What I, what I don't like about that is that this is this is just a joke, right? Uh, and if it's if it's good, if it's accepted, it's a really good joke. And well, if if it's heavily criticized, well, it's just a joke, right? And it's you can it, always hide. You have an escape hatch, the yeah. ironic, ironic escape hatch. I didn't. I wasn't. <laughs> yeah, I wasn't serious. I wasn't. Yeah, I wasn't was racing. It was, it was just a joke. <laughs> and for me, I love metal. And so at the end of that whole little dance, in a very adolescent way on my part, I just find myself internally saying, "Well, ah, just fuck off. Mm-hmm. You know, just mm-hmm. love your metal or leave it the fuck alone." Yeah. Um, and and Which that doesn't to mean everything. That just, doesn't mean that that you know it's it's awful to be in context of people that just take shit so seriously. We all find that exhausting, right? But uh, but to only be mocking everything either is equally exhausting. It is. It is. And some people can do it, and some people do it beautifully. I mean, there really are people that can pull that off, and and there are nice balances. Of, there are, you know, where there is this comedic thing, serious because, and mocking. Because <laughs> metal is one of the easiest things to have a good laugh at. Because mm-hmm. metal does take itself so seriously, and metal is so absurd, and. Uh, when you really begin to explore it, I mean, I've known people my whole life that are confounded by my love of metal. They're just mm-hmm. that's one area of you I, I'll never understand. Well, when I that, met you, I didn't think that wouldn't wouldn't have been my guess that you were because you know we were working at a hippie bar. Yeah, you know, and I just was like, oh, Tannen's like a, a deadhead or something like no, that. No, like, no. right? I know, but now, <laughs> but like your demeanor, as far as I could, you know, you're mild mannered, sure. you know, chill, smart guy you know softly sometimes spoken yeah all i've ever seen so far yeah i was too busy being the asshole for you to be the asshole when we were (laughs) around each other (laughs) but yeah i mean i wouldn't i wouldn't have guessed it and then you know it sort of gradually uh came out that of what you do like and you know that and it always seemed like a little more esoteric than what i was familiar with as Mm -hmm. far as you know oh i was lucky that way too i to number one, like I said, it was a quest when you were a kid to just explore, and the farther underground you got, the more of a prize it was. Uh, but at the same time, I was around a lot of people that 
were very generous with exposing me to a lot of things that I may or may not have found on the way right. and profoundly influenced how I was thinking about music and not just metal music in general. Mm-hmm. And uh, so, yeah, a lot of that stuff is really esoteric and it does kind of belong to this romance of especially the, the idea of similar to this town, there've always been these incredible things happening that no one will ever know about. And there's except a, for the people that except were for the there. people yeah except for the people that are there and sometimes not even the people that are there they didn't even know it right? they didn't even know it <laughs> and and what and you could look at that tragically or you can look at that now as, I think is that that's that's awesome because really like that whole is if a tree falls in the yeah right, right it doesn't right. make a sound yeah if you were there to hear it like you know if you you were in that moment that's really the only reality that exists is your fucking subjective experience mm-hmm. like you were talking about in the mm-hmm. beginning so who gives a fuck if it was also experienced by a bunch of other people exactly that they need to co-sign your experience and tell you it was valid or not valid you need the culture to yeah. co-sign it you need that to be you know one of those no i mean if it was for you it was and that mm-hmm. that's, that's a I good think, way of putting it too just a co-signatures for right yeah. yes that is cool curtis right. go ahead and think that's cool yeah. i agree yeah. You know, like, that's the great thing about being, f- like, 44 for me, is that I've had enough experiences now that I see how ludicrous it is to try to keep up with the um, what is apparently, seemingly, attempting to fool itself as a linear progression towards something mm-hmm. cooler and better. Mm-hmm. But it's actually the same cycle of a lot of things coming through. And a lot of it is, you know, adolescence, teenage, 20s. You know, then reality, and then another group comes through that and Mm -hmm. thinks they've invented everything, Mm -hmm. and it's all brand new, Mm -hmm. whatever. And you see a few of those happen, and you get a different perspective Mm -hmm. on it. And now I see the huge freedom is really to go like wherever the fuck I feel like going, or listen whatever the fuck I feel like, and not be bound to to those parameters. That not to be looking over your shoulder to make sure nobody's sitting there thinking that guy is not cool for liking that or whatever. It's yeah, yeah, yeah. I mean, I, and I used to take that really seriously, like really seriously. Like I would worry about like, I, man, I can't miss this show. I've got to be there with, right, right, right. That's a very, it's a very human thing. And Mm -hmm. I, and I think, uh, there's a ton of people that get caught up in that and they're exhausted all the time because they're constantly trying to keep up with that and they can't quite figure out why they're even trying to keep up yeah. with that what the payoff inside of that is and yeah unless of course it's you know somebody that aspires to to be for example in a band in in that scene and you know they're networking and they're doing all that but fuck all that yeah and, you know it's it, it it is to me just the excitement of that discovery and what, what i was saying before how that is existing simultaneously in every town everywhere yeah you know when you dig in and you start to explore there's somebody that is going to fuck you up Mm -hmm. you've never heard how they're thinking about heavy yeah and i love that quest i don't obviously uh, the world has changed very very dramatically in how we receive information and how we look for stuff. But I am still lucky to be around some people that know my tastes well enough that are always digging. Mm-hmm. And, you know, not, I mean, God, not long ago, I received a whole data disc 
of stuff that it was just band after band after band that was blowing my mind and I hadn't well, I hadn't heard it when that happens to you and I've had people hook me up with shit like that I really like there is the perverse part of me that's just like yeah that's that is all great stuff but it doesn't mean anything to me because it didn't just come to me like I've walked through the wardrobe and found myself in a magical land you know it mm-hmm. didn't just appear it didn't mm-hmm. just you know, just uh, reveal itself to me. Somebody, I, I went out of my way to either find it or somebody very intentionally gave it to me. Like for the perverse, weird way that I am about that kind of shit, it's got to be this discovery. Total, yeah, it just has to happen. Like, I mean, I had Mastodon for many years and I went to see them and I was like, I just, I don't like this. Like these guys are yelling and it's just very, <laughs> and you know, it doesn't, it, there's nothing about it that I can see why people are making such a fuss. And then I, I think I, it, it took, you know, like one of those songs popped up on, on like I auto filled my iPod or something. And like, Mm -hmm. I had the whole catalog Mm -hmm. I'd stolen off the internet and then (laughs) something popped up and I went, Oh, I'm ready for this now. You know, like I can, I can hear it. And then I loved all of their shit, you know, Mm -hmm. from the screamy shit to the singy shit. And Mm -hmm. like, I got it, even though I still think that drummer's too busy. Um, yeah, he's busy, but it, yeah, I agree. I mean, he gets very um, Krupa as a player. Gene Krupa. Yeah, yeah, uh-huh. he's he's very he's very all over the place. But he can be extremely articulate inside of that. You, he's very uh, drum core drummer. Mm-hmm. Very, yeah, uh, and when um, you say drum core, like C O R P S, right? Yeah. Like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like there's I mean, right, like yeah. he's a uh, majorette or some yeah. sh- or and whatever can, the fuck, like, yeah, marching I, band. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> and I can appreciate that. Um, but it's very round. He's constantly yeah. moving around. The toms. The, yeah. And, and as a, in terms, I, I love the more uh, angular, pointed players. Dale, uh, the Melvins, or Steve Shelton. Yeah. Or just these guys that they tilt a bit differently. But still, seeing the guy from Mastodon, it's, it's always great to be in the presence of, I've just, of, yeah. of somebody who is in control of their thing yeah. studying their thing and- i mean and i do like i appreciate it and those those guys that's a good example of like a bunch of different kinds of metal kind of coming together in in one band mastodon yeah oh yeah yeah they would be they they are truly and and yeah they're kind of fearless that way because they have on top of that a, a very prog rock side to mm-hmm. them and you can tell that they're very much coming out of a similar scene to here in Richmond, you know, like the Melvins and Breadwinner, and, and yeah. they felt like a Richmond band. The yeah. first time I saw them was here in Richmond, and if if they would have told me that, yeah, they're from Oregon Hill, mm-hmm. uh, I'd have believed from, it. Yeah, yeah it I couldn't like, tell them apart from Alabama Thunder Pussy and those guys. Oh no, I could. I could tell that. Not that sound different. wise, I meant like if they were. They were here playing a show. Oh, right, just as a group of guys. Hanging yeah, out as nice, swingers. Just, I was talking to the bass player for hours and thought he was just, uh, you know. Yeah. It was like I was talking to Brian. Right, just something. good cats that you've known from around town that, like, feel Richmondy. Yeah, it wasn't until I like I went to see him in Minneapolis that I was like, oh, shit, that dude, that's, he's, oh. Yeah, 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 yeah. Uh, but, and they're, like, that, that Brent guy, right, that's his name, he's the curly-haired, bearded guitar player that might be right very 
kind of old school metal style, uh, yep. Yep. you know, like hammer-ons and mm-hmm. things of that nature. Mm-hmm. And yeah, you can feel a reverence for you know Thin Lizzy, and you can feel a, a reverence for. Randy Rhodes, uh, Randy Rhodes, and, and, and KK Downing, and and Glenn Tipton, and mm-hmm. and yeah, and and I do like to see that in those kinds of bands. I like to see and hear those reference points, uh, because they've disappeared in in a lot of ways. And it is interesting too that a lot of younger bands attempting that style are so mediocre right they're they're doing it as a joke and uh or not, even not doing it as even a if joke, they're doing it seriously it's it misses <laughs> that point it's like what where are the rob halfords and the bruce dickinson's and the dios and the gillens and the coverdales why why aren't some of these these people capable of that enormity of voice and the grandiosity of putting forth this almost kind of vegas like thing but mm-hmm. convincing you of its uh, that might be partly how old we are, and you, know, so. you can see behind the curtain a whole lot with that kind of thing. And yeah, that. But you know, in hearing that, like, like listening to "Senile Animal" again, because now that song uh, "History of Bad Men" mm-hmm. makes me think of True Detective. Did you ever get to see that? By the no, way? I ha- no. You got to check it out. I'll, I will I'll give you my HBO Go. Uh, uh, passwords you can watch that shit oh cool you can watch it on a computer or something oh, awesome yeah thanks but like it, it's this weird like kind of gothic uh lovecraft and somebody else inspired detective story in louisiana so there's this there is a sort of an undercurrent of like bringing the metal mythology into something actually practical and maybe yeah. even, you know or believable or something mm-hmm. like and even maybe saying that's that this mythology came out of some real people not the other way around like Maybe Cthulhu really was this guy. That yeah, was like, yeah, yeah, you yeah, know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And, um, and, and now that, that album sounds really different to me in imagining that. Because when I first heard it, I, I liked it. But I was also just like seeing, okay, there's the Melvins in their form. And Big Business, who are Melvins kind of wannabes, who have been brought into the Melvins thing. And it just all sounded like form to me. And I didn't feel the content mm-hmm. until mm-hmm. I got to this place. I associated with that. And now it feels really different. And... Go ahead. Well, and uh, and since you've had that experience, return to big business and see that you know they really are their own entity. Yeah, and perhaps just very inspired. By yeah, that you can feel that inspiration, but it's as much a connection as it is an inspiration. It makes complete sense that those guys would be in the Melvins. I mean, they it's staggering to see them and they are the melvins uh but for example the last big business record it's a different kind of record than than what the melvins would put out it's a it's a rocker it's worth i'll give it to you so like i want to talk about like guitars like really geek out on guitar stuff with you but i would be immediately out of my league because you know so much more about i think technical Aspects I don't know. I mean, it depends. It it depends. I've I've never been a particularly technical guitar player. There's a lot of technical music. You know, death metal inherently is technical. I, you know, a lot of the bands I've loved from from Death to Mekong Delta uh, to Spastic Inc. They're extremely technical. But as a player, 
I've, I've never had the disciplines. I've never been particularly good at that, at that aspect, like other folks around this town. There, there are people that are instantly adept mm-hmm. at that form. Uh, they're adept as well at develop, developing those disciplines that uh, continue a process. Even as a, as a kid. Well, it just seems to me that like you know the names of like what Warren D. Martini is doing, you know, when he's playing a solo. You would know how to describe that in musical terms. No, no, I mean, no, not necessarily. No, not necessarily. I oh, mean, okay. you, know, you could, you could, yeah, I could maybe break down certain elements of it, but no, I've never cared about that. I, I didn't learn music that way. Even as a kid, when I, my, my first guitar lessons with, you know, this real Southern rock fella mm-hmm. that was going to teach me some, skin it <laughs> and and i was into it you know uh and at the same time i wasn't because i hadn't figured out how to articulate what i wanted out of this instrument because i didn't quite know yet i realized very quickly that i had zero desire in learning to play skinner well no i i mean skinner would have been great sorry as a matter of fact as a kid i, I did quite love skinner uh but i didn't want to play covers I didn't want to play other people's songs. Uh, I've never played a cover. I've never been in a cover band. I've never, ever in any of my bands ever played a cover. And it, I realize that's odd. And I think because of that, I've missed out on some critical technical information that could have helped me along the way. Um, because I've realized that in watching other players and seeing how they developed, that they would learn things all the way through. Yeah, you know, I would learn this little piece of an Iron Maiden something and realize, well, I, I'm not going to, I'm not going to go through learning the whole thing. I'd rather just listen to it, and then I'd rather think about uh, how I want to play music. And it took a very, very long time to even begin to form that thought. And I think it's because I was learning in a really backwards way. Um, well, the, the, I, the, I didn't realize you, you're, you're probably more like the way that I learned to play guitar to the degree that I did. And, and I was just talking about this on a podcast I haven't put up yet, but there's the language way of learning music and the math way. Yeah. You know, and sounds like you were doing the language way. And, that's, and they converge. You find over time, if you spend time with the instrument, you, you, those, those technical aspects. Well, your ability to relate to math as language becomes more, if Absol- that's your thing. Absolutely. You know? <laughs> and, and there, in, in order to, to get in touch with the ideas you have floating around, you have to be more proficient in the language of math. Right, right. And you have to, uh, technically expand. And there, there are times where I feel like, you know, I'd like to take some lessons in certain areas to to expand my guitar vocabulary mm-hmm. and technical ability. There's a there's a guy, for example, that I play with. He's one of those guys that play with in loincloth. In loincloth, mm-hmm. yeah. He he is just technically an extraordinary guitar player. I mean, he you know he will do things that I'll look at. And think, man, that would take me a lifetime 
to get to that point. Mm-hmm. And it really has been a lifetime for him and right. because he learned a very different way. And at the same time, grew up very metal, uh, but you know, also grew up with guitar players like Andy LaRock from King Diamond that, that really took that uh, technical way of lead playing into a very different art form. Right. And um, he was also a classical guitar player and, and that world is one very competitive and uh, extremely disciplined. So, yeah. So, so it, it gets, it gets into this, this virtuoso kind of a thing. It does. And you've got to sit there with a metronome and like, and get play it faster and faster and mm-hmm. all of that and that never interested me and I, I you know I used to want to like shit on that but it's like I don't want to shit on that now I just want to say that I don't really understand that that's not the heavy that I like and that's not the kind of lead yeah that yeah, I like yeah. I mean I can like I did listen to Ingve for a while yeah you know like the first two or three albums mm-hmm. and there was a whole atmospheric thing and he would interject these crazy runs that were like it was like violin. No, yeah, stuff, yeah, and it was based know. on Paganini, and, right? And you know, some Hendrix and some this and that, and he he absolutely uh, changed modern guitar. And there are players like Andy LaRock, for example, that are clearly stemming from Malmsteen that. You know, I love LaRock, but I, I love the way he thinks. He's a truly abstract player. Mm-hmm. But it's still coming from what would have been what's considered neoclassical or or there's all kinds of terms along those lines right, for those right. guys. But yeah, and it is, I mean, it is based more in that kind of composition and that rather kind of than melodic thing. Right, right. Yeah. And so, uh, yeah, a guy like Mom's, I, as a kid, the first time I saw him, uh, he was opening up for ACDC. And as cheesy as he was, he was extraordinary and a very, very different beast than what you were used to seeing in that real showboating environment. You know, because all those guitar players were trying to be the hot shit on the block. Mm-hmm. And there were a lot of great players. It's just they weren't innovators. Right. And, and Malmsteen, uh, musically, I could give a shit about. You know, it was just all about guitar. Uh, the first record, actually, the, the mostly instrumental one, yeah, the Rising Force self-titled yeah. one, yeah. And it, and what was interesting to me about that record is that it's Barrymore Barlow on drums, who is the drummer of Jethro Tull. And oh, I was really? A huge Jethro Tull fan. No, right? And Barrymore Barlow in Jethro Tull is a truly unique player, and he's a unique double bass player for seventies uh, prog mm-hmm. rock. And so, you know, some of the seventies. Tall records are some of my favorite songs from The Wood and Minstrel in the Gallery and Thick as a Brick, mm-hmm. Heavy Horses. They're just amazing, amazing Did records. Did you know that Tony Iommi was in Jethro Tull? He would do occasionally play... With no mustache. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And <laughs> There was this rock and roll... The Rolling Stones put out that rock and roll circus thing, and there's a performance by Jethro Tull in that, and it's from like 1968. They don't sound anything like what we're, you're talking no. about right now. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It's very weird, kind of folksy, kind of yeah. b- bizarre shit. And Tony Iommi standing there with a with like a floppy hat on and no mustache looking pretty hippie. Yeah. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Still got the SG. All those bands, they, you know, I, I, it's really dreamy to think of this, how occasionally John Bonham would fill in for Bill Ward and Sabbath. And you think, God, Sabbath with Bonham. That is... 
that's a that's a dream. Well, you know, and you get down to my drummer thing is that like I always feel like John Bonham gets all the talk, and Bill Ward is much more my favorite drummer from that time really? period. Yeah, because I I feel like he separated his kick out from his snare and his hi hat way better. Like he had this between the beat. Thing uh-huh. going on uh-huh. that you heard John Bonham more often just coming down on the one two three four mm-hmm. and like the beats and Snowblind and and like Wall Asleep all there are all of these different like really riff oriented drum beats that he's playing that are yeah he played he he did play he he played around the kit in a very different way the thing with Bonham is that he was so rich uh, rich with technique that simply you know. Uh, didn't exist with a guy like Bill Ward. I don't um, agree. I think Bill Ward very technique, uh, and he played a four piece. You know, yeah, and he played the shit out of it. And yeah, like, yeah, yeah. He did. He had he, a lot of technique. He just he different. Did. You know, but I, mean, I think Bonham innovated certain techniques that uh, I, don't I, know. I absolutely understand why drummers will continue always to refer to Bonham. Hmm. Um, I guess, and I know because the time that I was a drummer, I wanted to be Bill Ward in that BBC thing where they have to nail a two by four down in front of his kick drum, and he's just ripping this shit out like on a very on a on a rinky dink kit, like he's yeah, a yeah. kick a floor. Oh tom, yeah, I'm not saying you know, he's, yeah, yeah, and yeah. he's doing a lot on that kit, and it's all very like powerful and explosive, and and it's it's you know Buddy Miles kind of like. You know, which you know, the, and then the iteration of that that Mitch Mitchell did—it's—it's it's a jazz type of drumming, and it's it is. real. He's playing to the riff, and he's doing stuff that really feeds the song. And I felt like Bonham at a certain point just sounded to me like he was just hitting really hard, and that's really yeah. And I just and I never gave him that benefit of the doubt after a certain point. I just stopped listening to Zeppelin, mm-hmm. and like I get, mm-hmm. I completely. I get so fed up with fucking Led Zeppelin on XL102. Sure. Unable. To, the only thing I like is Achilles' Last Stand, stand and yeah. the Wanton song. And I get it. <laughs> I was I was very I denied myself both Rush and Zep until I was in my early 20s and when when I had that turnaround I truly, truly realized the grandeur of those two bands. Mm-hmm. And it did have everything to do with just this insane inundation. You couldn't get away from Zep. You right. couldn't get away from, from Rush. And when you're in a you know, a county high school, your your school band guys are yeah. the ones that are always gonna be talking to you about This is very much and- the thing that you hated like I'm 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 I don't feel this way about Richmond anymore because now I know that I can go. I, we just have so many more options. Like, like there isn't just the one radio station. There isn't just like the couple of clubs or whatever. Mm-hmm. You got the internet. You can have whatever you want. Mm-hmm. You know. Mm-hmm. And but the feeling that art and culture was controlled like a vice in this town in the eighties. Like we had lost our. I mean, in the seventies, you had XL one hundred two was a great long form album FM AOR album oriented mm-hmm. rock station, you know, mm-hmm. they Paul Chagrude get on there or, or Dick Hungay, one of those motherfuckers, and they play songs <laughs> they liked, you yeah. know? Yeah. But but then Clear Channel buys everything and XL one oh two was like it was the boot smashing me in the face, the mm-hmm. Orwell, mm-hmm. you know, like I just felt like this is this this isn't this is not actually the good wild time they're trying to say it is. It's total like brain Control. yeah. Like yeah. fucking brainwashing, yeah, oh, yeah, yeah, and yeah. so I associated all the classic rock with that, yeah. you know, that yeah, yeah, fucking yeah. 
programming. You sure. know. Oh, sure, sure, sure. Hold on one second. On that note, all right. Go I've really got to take a piss. <laughs> Where do we? So we were just talking about the vice grip of uh, Clear Channel Radio. Yes, we were, and how how, how that shaded. Zeppelin for me, Zeppelin and all for, classic for, rock, and all classic rock. <laughs> yeah, and, but then it, I mean, when I when I moved out of Richmond and got to New York, I was able to hear a lot of that stuff again. Like I started listening to Jimi Hendrix again, mm-hmm. like Band of Gypsies, and oh, yeah. I started listening to Stones again. I could hear them, and I could just pretend like they were a completely different band mm-hmm. in, from like sixty eight to seventy four or five, and mm-hmm. you know, I didn't have mm-hmm. to, mm-hmm. you know. I didn't have to acknowledge where they're yeah. at now, and but I mean that—that's—it's not like that anymore. But that—that that really is how I felt about like that. We were. It was almost like some people had moved into this town in the '80s and said, "Oh, look at all these rubes. We're just gonna like take over the culture of this town with a couple of radio stations." And that, you know, I and that kind of brings. I, I think that's why. That that's partially why. I wound up meeting the kind of people that I met downtown in Richmond mm-hmm. and and exploring the kind of music that I explored and the kind of ideas that I, I was exploring. It was it had a lot to do with that kind of social control from what you were listening to, yeah. to, you know, my era and your era of, of being in high school was, was Reagan. And, uh, all of a sudden there was this throwback that was being Jingoistic American throwback, that kind of thing. Yeah. And, and we, we were just being, uh, uh, wallpapered with it. Mm-hmm. And, it's a serious like era of propaganda, mm-hmm. like o- almost unquestioned by you know major. Like- I mean, there were there were teachers. I remember in my high school. Uh, this is a public school. Yeah, publicly paid for. Tucker, Tucker, mm-hmm. Tucker High School. Tucker fuckers. J.R. Tucker. J.R. Tucker fuckers. <laughs> Who the fuck would, is J.R. Tucker? Uh, well, John we'll Randolph that. Tucker. Oh, Randolph. Oh, that explains uh, a lot. Okay. Uh, uh, I remember a teacher who's you know she was just eaten up with with you know this this new brand of how the world should look, mm-hmm. and I, I remember going into my junior year, and she was telling me that she was fairly certain that soon there would be a hair code inundated <laughs> based on the length of my hair. And I remember being just barely smart enough to, to make the point that, you know, this is a social or excuse me, this is a, a, a public school. You can't do that. Yeah. That can't happen. So as much as you'd like that to happen, it can't happen. And, uh, you know, it was a, being out in the county w- was disturbing, mm-hmm. and so I, along with a, a few other kids out there, were really looking. And what county is it? Henrico? Henrico County. And you grew up in Henrico? Grew up in Henrico. What, exactly what part of that? It just straight out, uh, uh, until I was a teenager, right off Parham Road on in English Hills Apartments, and, and then Parham out. And what, what was the... It was Parham and... So that's a long-ass road now. Yeah. Um, it crosses the river now. Yeah, oh, yeah, it does. Um, like, is it near Regency? Like that part? No, it was... It was uh, More northeast? Yeah. 
uh, there were Harbor Village apartments over there, Chelsea apartments. Uh, what was like closer to Staples Mill? Yeah, uh, yeah, getting over that uh, way. Yeah, closer. Um, and then I wound up on Broad Street, but it's just kind of in the thick of, right. of county. And that was real, like like uh, homogenous shit. Real homogenous shit. Real redneck yuppie. Yeah, uh, and rednecks with money. Some with money, just enough and credit and credit. Yeah, <laughs> it wasn't River Road, which right. That's the uh, old money. That's the old money. It's um, the new vulgar money. Yeah, and 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 to a certain degree, it you know it was just extremely middle American, mm-hmm. middle class, and uh, willing to suck down. Um, that that political platform right. swallow that propaganda yeah swallow it and and never really questioning you know such things as you know this great hero ronald reagan he's inviting guys like falwell yeah. in into the folds to influence you know and this is a guy that is as batshit crazy as you get in in the you know quasi right 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 so uh yeah the, all kinds of things from from music to uh, uh, just certain social platforms fell to the wayside in the process of that. And so you I know, split you, and was you, going downtown. You call in, I mean, and, and I want to talk about that because I think that the same thing sort of happened to us around that time. But, like, I didn't get the impression then that Reagan was viewed by anybody as any kind of a hero. Not I, then. I, I felt, yeah, he is now. He's deified. Well, no, 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 no. Like, I mean, think about, I mean, at the time. I that, just wanted to say people were doing so well in the 80s that they were, you know, like certain people were certain doing so well. Certain people. I mean, yeah. but it was nothing like the Clinton years. Right. I mean, you know, Clinton had the statement, you know, what don't you like? Peace or prosperity? Yeah. And, yeah. and you know, under Reagan, you know, it really depends. I mean, you ask this community that we're sitting in right now, what did it look like under Reagan? Yeah. I mean, my God, the, it, it was beyond. Poor. But we had the Cosby's. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Right. I um, mean, there was definitely this veneer and like, I don't, you know, now that I look, you know, and it wasn't until we just were talking about XL one and two and Led Zeppelin that I, you know, I cast my mind back and like, I felt pretty comfortable in the eighties. Like, I mean, I felt like, you know, like safe and like things were good. And like, you know, I'm like 14, 15 years old. Um, and I look back on that now and I realize just how much went into creating that illusion for a certain like middle-class Americans Mm -hmm. of a a particular type that I, I sort of ancillarily fell into. I mean, my dad was, you know, working class guy and whatever, but I mean, it's not, he wasn't working as a mechanic or anything, Mm -hmm. but he was, you know, worked at Philip Morris factory, but, I mean, we weren't well off or anything like that, but um, we're but you were fine. And the yeah. feel, right? The feeling of the '80s for me is very comfortable. But you know, what was obviously under the surface of that that came out in the early '90s, and, and there was a real explosion of that. Is, is it wasn't like that for everybody, mm-hmm. and we were in a Cold War, and mm-hmm. you know, there was a lot of propaganda on our side. Being, you know, we're being, we must feel that we are superior. Mm-hmm. to the Russians and yeah. Soviets and yeah. all that. But like I was going to Marymount then. You're going to Tucker, right? Uh, yeah, and you yeah. you're in Hinton Rico feeling like it's, you know, homogenous and oppressive, mm-hmm. you know. And I'm at Marymount feeling like it's homogenous and oppressive even though I met the guy that really turned me on to metal, that's George Sophie. I mean Jason yeah. Sophie. Yeah. Um, 
But you get down to the VCU area, the Gray Street area, and it's like anything goes. There is, mm-hmm. there is nobody's listening to that mm-hmm. um, that voice, that XL102 voice. They're making their own. Yeah, they rejected and, that a long time ago. Yeah. They're a bit older. They've crossed over into uh, a million other territories that are so much more expansive than that world. They're so much more captivating. Mm-hmm. And to you know, I was extremely lucky at fifteen to to get to step into that world and and you how were playing guitar at that point and i was as a matter of fact i was playing in a band that i wound up playing Ken in Morris a band or? no i wound up playing in a hardcore band that originally was uh, that george george Sophie was in is that it, dennis's problem not it was pledge allegiance oh the steel brothers and, yeah and you were in that Mark band too? yeah i was in that uh the the more metallic version mm. of that but um yeah that that was definitely a, a a point in time where I I was talking to somebody about this not long ago. I was talking about uh, going to see the the Butthole Surfers and just what a kind of out of control show it was and how much at Twisters. I, I loved it. No, it was at the Metro downstairs oh, yeah. and. And just what an amazing thing it was to be in homeroom the following day and <laughs> thinking like, wow, what I experienced last night versus what this experience mm-hmm. in this room is, uh, is uniquely different. And, and how fortunate I am to be able to tap into that periodically or a, a ton and, yeah. and allow that to influence how I'm, I'm thinking about, uh, all kinds of things. And I think that that touches on the question you asked me right before we turned the mics on, like how much am I socializing? Yeah, how right social now? are you in, in, a, in this town? Well, I would relate Do you even care to be? Or? I, I care to be a lot, but I mean, th- I think the difference, like I've always been interested in w- the esoteric and the other side of shit, but I also really dug it when the pretty girls started showing up at the metal shows with Guns N' Roses and Bon Jovi. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. I really went in that direction. Like mm-hmm. I went like, I want to, I still want to get my metal in and my heavy shit and, and my edgy shit, but I also want there to be girls there. Mm-hmm. You know? mm-hmm. And that really defined a lot of whatever that sense is, you know, like I don't want to be like uh, huddling in a corner. I don't want to be hiding in a basement or a dark room. I want to be like, you know, out there in it, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. in the mosh pit. Mm-hmm. I want to be meeting people. I want to be meeting girls. I want, and that really more and more informed. And I, and I r- lost balance with it because I got, I, I went along with a lot more fads, you know, going forward, I think from there, you know, sure. cause sure. Uh, that became really important. I was just trying to chase that, yeah, that scene, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and and I lost my own sense of, you know, like, what am I really into? Yeah. And um, I would but I had come out of, you know, like, I think all of us in high school, like, we got a good group of friends and we've got some shit that we're like really into and we don't give a shit if girls like it or anybody else. Yeah. It's like, it's, you know, Dungeons and Dragons or, you know, um, certain comic books or music or whatever. And like. I feel like I've kind of come full circle to being that guy that wasn't so obsessed with what what do girls like or what is everybody else like. And I want to be social, but I also really want to be doing something practical, which is what I'm doing to make a living. Mm-hmm. And like my job, like me really taking on, like can I succeed at something and keep challenging myself mm-hmm. 
career-wise, like just fucking jobity job, mm-hmm. you know, and mm-hmm. put my creativity into that and my ideas and mm-hmm. like get better at this and whatever. That takes up so much of my mental space. Like, and mm-hmm. and I am being social. I'm out all over the greater Richmond area talking to all kinds of people, mm-hmm. like everybody that lives in Richmond I'm coming in contact with, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. I mean, and it's way more diverse than it used to be. Mm-hmm. Like it's crazy. Like all down Jeff Davis highway towards Chesterfield is, is little Mexico. I mean, it's yeah, like, yeah, yeah. and serious, like yeah. people who do not speak English, yeah. you know, like, and, and it's like, they got a whole thing going on, their yeah. own thing going on down there. And it's cool. You yeah. know, they're real taquerias, like fucking, yeah. Yeah. you know, Southern California kind of yeah, shit. Yeah. And, yeah. Um, and like real deal Korean stuff over on Midlothian Turnpike yeah. near where Cl- Cloverleaf Mall used to be, mm-hmm. you know, and like the serious like um, halal like fucking you know Muslim like Arab dude on on downtown like Manchester Hall Street, you mm-hmm. know, mm-hmm. and like I mean there's it it's really diverse and really interesting. So I get all of that social. I'm not really interested in socializing in the abstract fashion sense of scenester. Like what's up? Yeah. Though you know, Chris is constantly this band Ballisto now, and I'm like, fuck, that looks yeah. cool. Yeah. But I'm already in my jammies, you know. Like, <laughs> you know? Betty bye. Yeah, Done. and it's not like I, I'm not burnt out on it. I'm not jaded. I just am like, I'm I'm actually really turned on by like trying to be good at what I'm doing for a living, mm-hmm. you know. And mm-hmm. I do this podcast thing. You know, to to do something creative, yeah, and yeah, and, yeah, yeah. and to and interface with people like right. I might be talking to at a party so I can hear you, unlike at a band or you know at a show. So mm-hmm. I don't have any like nothing stopping me from. It's not a choice that I'm not out there doing that more. It's just not fitting. Yeah, my yeah, schedule, yeah, yeah. You know, yeah, I'm busy. Yeah, I have this living girlfriend, and she, you know, there's a lot going on here, and right. You know, so what about you? Do you get out much? No, I mean, yeah. <laughs> Uh, I mean, I do and I don't. I mean, I, I guess we all become our own form of hermit mm-hmm. and there's ebbs and flow to, to that experience. So, yeah, I, you know, I certainly can love my social life and love just kind of, uh, being out and, and, uh, connecting with people that I, I'm not going to see otherwise uh, unless I, I I go to a select few places. But in general, I mean, I've always been a person that is very, very comfortable spending a lot of time alone mm-hmm. and not needing any social interaction. Yeah. Plenty and, going on in the cabeza. Yes. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that can be unhealthy, but that can be extremely healthy. And I am not one to uh, deal with boredom by picking up my phone and calling people right. and, and seeing what people are up to. You don't to. need to be getting stimulated. You can, yeah. No, I, 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 as, so, yeah, it's, it's not uncommon for me that, that I'll go through, with a few exceptions, I mean, there, there, there are a few folks that I'll, I'll occasionally meet up and have dinner with, and that kind of thing. But it, it's not uncommon that I'll go through months with without being at all social yeah. until there's a perhaps a musical performance or, or something that I'm interested in where inevitably I'll, I'll I'll see some folks it's always great 
when that happens. Mm-hmm. But no, I, I, strangely enough, if it were not for uh, for the music scene and growing up no inside of it, I no. I mean, there there would be, but I, I wouldn't be nearly as social. Mm-hmm. I'm naturally a, a person that spend. I'm I'm naturally a loner. And mm-hmm. I kind of always have been. I I I, I roam. I I <laughs> I spend. It's just a lot of. I relate. Time. I relate to you on that. And like I I I decided it was important not to be at one point and like you know make sure that my lonerism wasn't sour grapes. Oh yeah. Know? And to really kind of give it a chance and get out there mm-hmm. and and that that's had a lot of different iterations you know it's been you know way too much about me you know mm-hmm, and mm-hmm. shit like that and um it does, but i always re- i remember like in either studying hindu in like vcu in some class that there was this these phases that every that a man is supposed to go through or a person mm-hmm. and i can't remember them all but like one of them is kama and that's like you know the total pursuit of pleasure and you know all of that stuff mm-hmm. and experiences and tasting this and doing that and and then it, it, you know the at the end of it is what you just mentioned the the ascetic and i remember the indian term for that but mm-hmm. that you do mm-hmm. you sort of remove yourself you're not contributing to that now you're reflecting you know mm-hmm. you're mm-hmm. you've pulled that energy out of there and yeah yeah know. and i think I, yeah it's not a matter for me of of sour grapes it's something that i've always come to very naturally as a kid it was the same way i mean you know for me as a kid it was a lot of roaming around the woods alone and just doing a lot of things Mm -hmm. alone i've always had very good and precious relationships in my life uh yeah and it wasn't sargrace for me either i mean i'm saying that's i am i am naturally like like you are i just forced myself to be social yeah. i think at yeah, one yeah, point yeah. but I, I i can sit here i used to need to have music on if i was by myself and now i'm like i can sit here in silence and be like doing stuff and like it feels really good mm-hmm. actually like mm-hmm. i could kind of focus you know on like what i'm doing and well yeah it's good to it's good to uh to not always be distracted by something it's good just to be bored it's could. To be whatever the fuck you are yeah, in a yeah, moment, yeah, yeah, because, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and, and I mean that's I, I guess ultimately like I'm trying I'm I'm interested in like rebuilding what are my interests based on being okay with shit, yeah, Not yeah, my interest based on this is no good these people suck that whole thing is outrageous fuck this I'm gonna go over here with these folks who understand me and and understand that that's all bullshit. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm not interested in that anymore. I like I'm really interested in trying to figure out. No, wait. All people are people. You know that whole like they're equal. They're just as good as me. Mm-hmm. You know maybe mm-hmm. they're a little confused by this or a little deluded by that. But ultimately, you know we have this thing in common. Mm-hmm. And I'm way more interested now in seeing what I have in common with fucking everybody mm-hmm. rather than mm-hmm. the other person that likes metal. That yeah. You know yeah yeah of course. But of course. and and. And I still like love that, but like at the same time, when I'm when I am walking into some deli on Jeff Davis Highway out by the trailer court, and I'm talking to the dude who runs the hot food over there, and talking to him about how he makes his chicken mm-hmm. and like how he makes this homemade banana pudding and mm-hmm. all mm-hmm. of that, and that's a place you would just drive by that place and you would say, "There's nothing for me in there," mm-hmm. you know. And in there are people 
living interesting imaginative no, yeah, there's a creative. wealth of things for right you there's yeah. this i mean it's it, there's a lot yeah and I, I like really like opening up to that and it makes me really happy to greet those people and what makes me really brings me down is when i have to go into one of the more foodie hipper establishments mm-hmm. where everybody in there is taking their bullshit so fucking seriously mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. i see a guy behind the bar with a beard and some perfectly combed hair and i don't i just know i, I have nothing against that person mm-hmm. but i know i'm not going to get that energy that right, i get right, from the, right. the very ebullient friendly like open dudes that are you know the muslim guys the fucking mm-hmm. you know the indian guys like the, all these different dudes that are just like i go out in their store and i'm like eh, and they're like eh, and it's yeah, all yeah, yeah. you know we're all like pretenses are dropped right you know, and everybody is like just being right. real and then i gotta walk in these other places where everybody is fucking got their something tucked into something mm-hmm. some way it's performance like, yeah and it's it just really is a the energy is a fucking drag to me. I don't want to sit here like I, I recently have talked about all of that is I'm not against that. I'm just saying that the feeling of it is constipated to me mm-hmm. when I'm looking there mm-hmm. and it makes me tense. You know? Yeah, you're not getting this organic human experience. Right. It's it's more that, hey, my name is and I'll be yours. I'm trying to tonight. make you believe that there's more value here by this front of the house uh, pretense and shit that we're putting on that this is better food because of that. And and like I just I've been or, or depending on what it is it again some people will perceive it just as a kind of theater and they want that experience right of, no I don't I you know yeah this is your role and this is your role and and I'm here to to be in this atmosphere. and I again must say that it's that's my problem no it's, I know, it's my, I, know it's of, I get what you mean you know I like I, I was part of creating those kinds of atmospheres and places you know I worked at the Virginia Museum and I put on the black and whites and I worked up in the members dining room and mm-hmm. had to play this role and and i worked in in you know places in new york that were really trying to be trendy and fashionable and whatever and that was a very uptight feeling and a very judgmental feeling and a very sneery like if this person comes in and thinks they're going to wait tables here and they don't fit this bill mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. everybody's like you yeah, know, okay. get a load of that fool yeah and i just i can't have, i really like that that feeling is just so ugly yeah, it is. Now. Like I it just, is. I can't, I can't get with it. And I was a purveyor, mm-hmm. and, I, and I went along with it mm-hmm. times in my life. And now I just, I want to fucking bring everybody out into mm-hmm. the, you know, like free them into the life. Yeah, man, free them, love them up. <laughs> this is my shit now, man. <laughs> and so, I mean, and you know, that was a thing I liked about the the scene down at VCU in the in the nineties is that. I was I went to metal shows and I was scared of that shit that was happening on the floor mm-hmm. and like I went to my first one at the Coliseum and we're down there in front of the stage and the and the rednecks started pushing and shoving and me and my friend Jason and these other two guys little skinny redneck dudes from Marymount we were like <laughs> getting out of here and we went up and sat on these seats like stage right and every metal show we saw at the Coliseum after that we sat up there oh, yeah. we were really yeah, afraid yeah. of being pushed around down there sure but. I went to the boathouse to see Chili Peppers and Faith No More, and I got real close to the stage because I really wanted to see these guys, and I wasn't even thinking. And then when the show started, everybody else who wanted to be close to the stage got close to the stage. It compacted. Things got, you know, I couldn't get out of there, and I just relaxed into it and Mm -hmm. ended up having a really good time, like Mm -hmm. not being in control of where I'm moving and yeah, and yeah, it yeah. became a totally different experience, you know. Yeah. And I love that of like going. Couldn't get with that. Hated, hated that. that. <laughs> oh God, no. 
Thank you. No, thank you. I'm at all. back here in the shadows with my yeah. arms folded. No, thank you. exactly. <laughs> exactly. That is exactly correct. Yeah, I mean, I I liked that feeling and realizing that I'm not going to get hurt in here. I mean, I might a little, but mm-hmm. for the most part, the kind of shows I'm talking about shit upstairs at the Metro and whatever. It was this yeah, little yeah, yeah. window where it was really the old kind of mosh pit thing that's more about pogoing and bouncing off of people than it is about hurting anybody. Yeah, like, you know? yeah, yeah, yeah. And it's good people. They're friendly people. They, yeah. They're there to freak out, but right. they're not there to hurt you. Right. And, you know, that was a good... But anyway, we could talk about so much we could shit. we can, can continue to, this again yeah i know we could we could continue this again at some and we'll point. do another one uh, yeah we could do that so yeah. we could put it together and make a i don't know you could pick in there what what you think well, your podcast play. listeners I, might I don't give a fuck. find I'm interesting here yeah <laughs> you're gonna listen to all of it or not yeah you don't have to listen in one sitting you know, it's, it's like, turn it off, come back to it, whatever. Sure. But I, there was a thing I want to touch on before we leave. So guitar for me, yeah. it's like yeah, yeah, yeah. finding the way that I learned to play it. And the way I feel about it is it's like finding some thing, uh, a talisman, a sword, uh, I don't know, something that has properties. Mm-hmm. And I don't know how to extract those properties until I just have experience with it. And mm-hmm. I'm really interested in unlocking what those properties are. And I didn't really want anybody to tell me how to unlock those mm-hmm. properties. You wanted to discover it. Yeah. And it, and it happened really late in life for me. I started playing guitar when I was like 28 or something. Yeah. And for real, when I was like 30, mm-hmm. you know. And But that's how I wanted it to feel. I wanted it to be this sort of a live thing in my hand. I didn't know what I was going to do. I didn't, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like I didn't have mastery and I did not attempt to have any mastery. I just wanted to get a little better at... Um, controlling what came out of it right, but connecting I, with it right right but i want i still wanted to feel like i might not be able to you know i liked that um that sort of iffy danger tightrope thing mm-hmm. about playing guitar on stage like that it was a little um i don't know like it's it's a mystery and it's electric and like there's a lot of fucking power flying through it and i don't know what's going to happen well yeah and, try. And, and, and similar to uh, you know Similar to, for example, if we picked up and went to anywhere else in the world that doesn't speak English and we don't speak that language, we could find a million ways to communicate and stuff right. like that. But I think people often, when they immerse themselves in something, are are rather blown away by the fact that they really don't pick up the language like they would think. They're, <laughs> you know, they they really don't. They, yeah. you know, they learn how to order a cup of coffee and say hello and. And that's really about it. They just don't it. talk to anybody. And they, they just don't talk to anybody. And most of the time, they're pantomiming, you mm-hmm. know? And that's mm-hmm. that's how that experience right. is going. And similar... You sign language. Yeah, you're sign... Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Charades. And, and so, with the guitar, it's it's similar. It really depends on what it is you're wanting to do with it. Mm-hmm. And I think that there's, you know, there's so many different forms within that instrument and you know there's a ton of people that i've known along the way that have maintained they never want to know anything about it yeah they just want to be able to plug it in and hit it and allow it to resonate and compose within that that framework and as a result over years (laughs) no i mean really (laughs) over years they're they're you know magical at times at what they're doing Mm -hmm. and 
that is remarkable, as is watching that technician leave shed just a technical ability and turn it into an art form. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, they are this kind of master linguist mm-hmm. with, with the technical aspect of the instrument. And you can meet a lot of people that are that, but are not capable of really saying anything. Right. Uh, but then you do come across those individuals that, wow, they, they are capable of tapping that other, that yeah. abstract place that, that is unique to them. And, then you're off in that world. Um, mm-hmm. So yeah, it's a fat. You know, I think I, I over the course of my life, I've always tried to inspire people to get with an instrument, any kind of instrument. It is a truly liberating experience. Yeah, and it's a frustrating one because you know, not knowing anything keeps you from it. Mm-hmm. It's like you know, it's like to a certain extent. I don't know playing pool. Pool just is not fun unless you're okay at it, or tennis, or these things that require right, right. You know, that golf. There's, there's just no immediacy to it, and we there's no way to enjoy golf unless you're pretty unless you just work gotten out to the level of it. Yeah, 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 yeah. And but the well, guitar, putt, you still you can, you can the guitar you can, and and I think I, you can find ways to just make noise and uh, yeah, you yeah. know, yeah. I'd like to hear you play more. It would be a be I will cool. give you. Send, I will send you. Give me the new loincloth. I'll, yeah, I'll give you the new loincloth, and I'll, I'll send the other. I'm side. really. It's weird that I've, I've, I have known you a little while yet, and I really don't know what your style is like. I haven't heard your music. Yeah, I, mean, I think it, I saw the Kenmore's back in the. It's very, you know, it's very angular, and there's a there's a level of discordance to it. I mean, there's certainly elements of of traditional metal you'll hear in it um because i I do love that and i love the structuralism of it and i and i do find myself writing in those terms Mm -hmm. uh loincloth is extremely dense i mean it's dense 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 with riff and it is with truly one of my favorite drummers on the planet and he used to be uh or is still now actually in a metal band called confessor very very twisted metal band to confessor Nah, no, never mind. They have a couple of records out. They had a record out on Earache, and they they did a record in the two thousands. And uh, Steve is just this extraordinarily twisted crab of a drummer. And I've always been a drums first listener. Strangely, mm-hmm. as a guitar player, I I always listen to drums first. I've all, I don't know why I'm not a drummer. Uh, and and Steve Steve has always been able to find those abstract spaces that lend you to a completely different perspective in banging your head. Uh, he's a mm-hmm. very, very smart drummer and I've uh, so utterly fortunate to get to play with him because it's, it's not often in life you can say that, yeah, you're, you playing, know, with this, your I, I'm pl- you're playing with your favorite. There's nobody else I would be doing this with. Yeah, 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 he would be the top of my list if you asked me. Would name three people that you. you That's could play nice, with. isn't it? Yeah, yeah, and he's. I need to listen to shit. I, I, yeah. you know, I know Confessor. I've heard many people like yourself refer to them. I, I wanted to say that they were the they opened up for Danzig when I saw. Um, they did do shows with Danzig. Was that at the? Um, what is now Have a Nice Day Cafe Floods? No, as a matter of fact, that was Trouble. Oh. And Confessor is very Trouble. 
they love trouble as I did trouble. I love trouble. So from it's Chicago. not totally fucked up that I would have like been confused. No, there's as a matter of fact, confessor based. They do a trouble instrumental, and I kind of got to know them. That was my my introduction. Somebody said to me, "Oh, this band from Raleigh, they're very trouble." Uh, and trouble uh, from Chicago were this super heavy, defined doom uh, metal band that. They were they were like the dark side of Christianity. Mm-hmm. There were no. That's right. That's were right. No, and and uh, the first two Trouble records are just phenomenally heavy. And the the great thing is is they were this underground metal band that were, that was playing with with bands like King Diamond and Venom as a Christian metal band. And you can tell that they were really bound to the 70s, yeah. even though they were inherently metal mm-hmm. and and coming from, you know, a Sabbath perspective, you still could really hear this blue cheer perspective mm-hmm. and Almond Brothers perspective, but they just... You can tell it was amp and riff worship. Mm-hmm. You can mm-hmm. tell when they got together in a room, they, Turn they turned everything up, up and mm-hmm. they heard it and... and just wanted to keep making it heavier. And it's heavier good to and get inside that field, man. Oh man! Fucking, oh yeah! The electromagnetic field. Sure, whatever. sure. Trouble was extraordinary. All right, dude. All right, I, we got to get you home. Yeah, right? man. Thanks for this. Thank you. It was fun. This was fun. Oh yeah, I love that sound of the mic turning on, and I'm not even gonna hide it. I'm not even gonna pretend like you didn't just hear that because. That's how I'm rolling. I don't have any mic stands here, I'm, but I actually packed and brought with me my recording equipment. That's some crazy. I, I knew I was going to at least pipe, post these things, but I thought maybe I would even run into somebody to do a podcast. But how am I going to do that? I only got one microphone and no stands. So I'm sitting here in my drawers in a hotel room with the mic in my hand. And uh, that's about as glamorous as it gets me by myself in a hotel in Baltimore, Maryland, looking forward to watching Fargo, which isn't really that great, but it's all right. It's better than nothing. And uh, I'm going to watch uh, I'm gonna watch Silicon Valley. I think that shit's actually pretty clever, but I'm not going to watch Mad Men. I'm going to edge on my cable watching. I'm going to get real close to watching Mad Men and then not watch it because I promised my girl I would watch it with her. That in Game of Thrones. So we're, instead of binging, we're edging. Because I got nothing better to do than watch. Maybe I should go outside and check out this downtown Baltimore. Give me some foods. Go get some crabs or something. I just finished watching The Wire. Like, I missed the last, very last, second to last episode, I think, originally when it ran. And I just watched that again. And I was tending to think that that was just a little bit of hype. But, um,. Everyone around here is assuring me this is still a very shitty city. You can easily find yourself in the wrong part of town and be ruining the day that you did. But, uh, I don't know. What the hell is that all about, man? I it's just... It's, I guess it's just capitalism, isn't it? It's just people trying to make a dollar however they're going to make it and then competing over that dollar. It really is just a microcosm of what... The world does at large, or the country does at large, as, as Tupac said, I think. Why are you going to talk about me being in a gang? 
The United States of America is the biggest gang in the world. And it's true. U.S. of A. Gangsters. Hey, speaking of... Well, that's not really speaking of anything, but hey, it's been a while since anybody has dropped any coins into the slot, and I, I realize I, maybe I'm not doing much to warrant it, but if, you, if the spirit moves you and you listen to these, hook me up, donate some money through PayPal. It would be very nice of you. Thank you very much. Good night. Listen, here it goes.